The Association of Teacher Educators is celebrating 100 years. As educators across the country congregate to Atlantic City this week for the annual ATE conference, I sat down with the president of ATE, Dr. Christy McIntyre, to discuss the legacy and future of the organization. This includes topics like micro-credentialing to policy initiatives. I know you'll find this episode insightful, so let's jump right into my conversation with Dr. Christy McIntyre. Dr. Christy McIntyre, welcome to the Teacher Education Podcast. Thank you. For our audience to get to know you a little bit better, can you tell us about, about yourself, how you got started into teacher preparation professionally? Sure. So my journey began in 1991 as a classroom teacher. Um, I taught kindergarten and first grade for six years in Georgia. and um, But I knew when I was in my undergraduate program that I would go ahead and get my doctorate. I did not know I would end up in higher ed at the university. I really thought I would end up in curriculum and instruction or as a coach at a school. So um, the fact that I have taken this path, I credit to my advisors at Georgia State University and who were also into teacher education. And at the time, the professor I worked for was the president of the Association of Teacher Educators for the year 2000. So 20 years ago, she was president. And crazy enough, here I am coming into this role 20 years later. So there is a direct connection because now you're serving as the president for ATE and it's celebrating its centennial anniversary, I hear. Uh, What was your first experience or memory of the Association of Teacher Educators? Um, It was 1998. I was Edie's assistant. And so the things that stuck out to me most at that time was as an assistant, getting to be a part of the board meetings, but also joining her in Washington, D.C. to see her negotiate rulemaking with people that would be influencing legislation for education across the United States that made a really powerful impact on me. Um, Being in the room for that conversation, taking notes, seeing that the Association of Teacher Educators was engaged in wanting to influence policy, wanting to have a say or a voice at the table on behalf of teachers and educators, um, it, it meant that they were in the game and that their voice was respected. And so that was something that was very intriguing to me. And I wanted to also have a voice about what I believed was best in education and for teachers. Now, ATE is an old organization. Can you tell our audience a little bit about the Association for Teacher Educators' mission and history? Our mission is to be advocates for teachers, for teacher educators especially. And our definition of teacher educators is broad. It's not just those who are supervising student teachers, but anybody that is working in a capacity to coach or to better and support a classroom teacher or educators. So a principal is a teacher educator, a a peer mentor in a school could be a teacher educator. For being over a hundred years old, that's a long time. And how do you feel like APE has, moved with the times, has modernized to uh, address the problems that are happening right now in teacher education? So one of the ways that we stay active in making the organization meaningful for everyone is through our state units. Um, We have 34 state units in addition to the national unit 
And at the state level, that's where education policy happens. So there are some policies that happen at the national level, but most of education occurs, the the policy related to it occurs at the state level. So from what you're describing, it sounds like ATE is unique from other organizations and conferences because it is so involved in policy. Would you say that if someone is interested in influencing policy, this is the organization that they should get involved with? I think definitely. And we are, we're also currently organizing a group called the National Coalition of Educators. And so at the table, we have leadership from the National Education Association, NEA. We have leadership from AACTE, the American Association of Colleges of Teacher Education. We have leadership from our accrediting body, CAPE, um, as well as the National Association of Professional Development Schools and KDP. So we have community colleges represented, um, NACTEP, that particular group, and the American Educator Employers Group. So I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, so please forgive me if I've forgotten them at this point. Um, But it's a It's a wonderful group of people, and we come together um, at least every other month to discuss where we're all at in relation to um, policies and or initiatives in order to raise the profile of educators across the nation. And with your leadership role with ATE, I'm sure you've seen the breadth and scope of teacher preparation. Um, What are maybe one or two important themes or problems you've seen emerging over the past few years? There's always this tension between providing quality, qualified educators in the classroom and yet meeting the demands of the teacher shortage. And so we seem to always be in a phase of either increasing assessment tools or tests or whatnot to assess the effectiveness of teachers, as well as then decreasing those types of gateways in order to let people into the profession so that we can meet the teacher shortage. And so I would love at some point for us to be able to come to an agreement and stabilize what is best and and how that should be. Um, Currently, we have a lot of states that are using a performance-based assessment model from Stanford University. Um, And that on its premise is, is just a wonderful piece. As it stands, it is difficult when you start to put assessments into legislation because then it begins to taint the the expectation and the process a little bit. So as educators, we believe that formative assessment is the best way to go. And that's what the research shows, that the more feedback we give people during the process, then we grow and we learn. It's not about that test at the end, because that's going to just do your short-term memory for the moment. And so if we can move forward Um, more performance-based assessments, but if we could reduce the high-stakes nature of those performance-based assessments and allow our teacher education programs to be the final judge of if that person is ready to go into the field to be a teacher, then that's, 
to us where the control belongs. It doesn't belong at the state level necessarily as it does with the experts at the universities. The Teacher Education Podcast is brought to you by GoReact. GoReact is a video coaching software used in teacher preparation programs all around the country. This cloud-based system allows supervisors, candidates, mentors, and faculty to insert time-coded feedback directly into student videos. To see what GoReact can do for your program, check out goreact.com teacher. That's G-O-R-E-A-C-T dot com slash teacher. I'd like you to imagine yourself 10 years in the future. What role do you think organizations like ATE will play in teacher preparation? Will it be similar? Will it be different? Um, There are some things shifting in education right now, and it'll be interesting to see where we are in 10 years. We, um, with the influx of online universities and opportunities through online education, it's changed the nature of a master's degree for teachers. It's changed the nature of a master's degree for anybody just about. So as we move in that direction, one of the trends that I see is teachers, especially um, because of their long days, are looking for convenient access to that next level of education, whether it be a master's degree or a PhD. They're looking for convenience and affordability. And so the universities specifically are cognizant of some of this shifting trend. And I'm beginning to see that there's a a decrease in the number of hours required for a master's potentially. But there's also discussion, at least um, in some of the states, about something called micro-credentialing and portable, stackable units. I may be getting into the weeds too much. I apologize if I am. Um, So if you think about a traditional master's degree, it's 36 hours of credits at a university. If you're looking at, and and typically you can only transfer in so many units of credit into that university to get that master's degree. What's happening now though, is people are recognizing that just getting 36 hours in one spot on one in one program may not be the avenue that people are seeking as much. And so they, they're looking for a more individualized approach. Um, they're looking for the ability in the portable stackable units means I'd like to get 12 hours of professional development or micro credentials and this particular area, improve my literacy skills in the classroom. But then I'd also like to get 12 hours in the future looking at assessment and how I'm conducting assessment or creating assessment or evaluating assessments in my classroom. And so the micro-credentialing or the stackable units would allow a teacher to take topics and credit hours and then put those things together to make up what eventually could be a 30 to 36 hour master's degree traditionally, but it's, it's enabling them to stack on pieces potentially from different providers. So they're kind of in charge of their own curriculum in a way. <laughs> they are, they are potentially. Yes. And that I, I think this is something in the next 10 years that we all need to 
be at the table discussing. And um, I think there's some advantages to this. I, I don't think it's something we sh should shy away from. We're talking about it a lot in the National Coalition of Educators. Some of the groups, NEA and KDP, are already providing some micro-credentials. We've asked them to help us provide some micro-credentials during our conferences. So it's, it's finding ways to give teachers credit for the professional development that they do. But we want to make it more than just a workshop. We want to make it sustained um, learning so that we know that it has an impact in their classrooms. And so that's a little bit of the tension in that conversation right now. But um, I think in 10 years, we'll be on the other side of this. I think it'll be exciting. I, anytime you're, you're considering alternative, new, out-of-the-box ways to approach um, education or something that's been the same for 100 years, it's exciting to look at what are the possibilities? How can we get creative? But first of all, how can we meet the needs of the teachers and support them in their growth and development so that they can support student learning in the classroom? And that's what we're about at the bottom line is what are we doing to improve learning for those children in the classroom across the United States? And how are we supporting the teachers and their growth? Now, I'm going to ask you a question we ask of all of our guests, and we get some interesting answers, so I'm excited to hear what you'll have to say. So the question is, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about teacher education in the United States, what would it be? I would want to make teacher preparation and training free. Um, I would want it to be teachers don't make enough to recoup their college cost. Um, teachers struggle paying and coming to get a master's degree because they can't afford to pay off the loans afterwards, that there's not enough bump in their raise after they get a master's degree to make a difference. So, and I'm trying to think if that would help the teacher shortage um, because that seems to be a perennial problem. But I guess having education, the teacher preparation opportunity to be accessible to everybody, as well as accountable to appropriate um, accreditation bodies, because the accountability to an accreditation body ensures that quality element that we've been talking about this time, this whole time. So I want to see the quality, but I, want, I also want to see accessibility. Now, what's really interesting is to hear your answers. Most people want to ask this question. They usually don't always have a seat at the table like you do, right, in making these types of changes. So what are you doing right now? What are you currently working on to make this, to make teacher preparation more accessible, more affordable, or have a, a pay raise? Um, well, our vice president, uh, the second vice president that will be coming into this spot in just a few weeks, um, she spoke to the legislators in her state of South Carolina back in, I think it was May, to help influence legislation um, that would recognize some of these aspects. For myself, I had the opportunity to join AACTE at Washington Week in May, and we were advocating for a policy 
that would do exactly what we're talking about. It would provide grants for people who want to come into teacher preparation, come into education, um, to be able to afford that because they would be receiving these grants. And so it was to extend funding that had been in place before and um, to make it available and continued. And so that was successful. Um, there were several of us as organizations that went in together, but going into Washington and talking to personally my congressman um, about, and my representatives, but I also had the chance to talk to other representatives in other states um, about the bill and what we were hoping to see come out of it. And so that was a very positive move. You mentioned, and this again, this is a theme, this grassroots state movement, especially. Uh, you mentioned that you're trying to get, to get a, a portfolio of some sort for different members in their state so they can become that that voice, that representative. Where, if we have listeners that are interested, they're like, yes, I want to get involved. I want to become that voice within my state. What are, where are some of the resources that they can find that? So our... Um Council of Unit Presidents, which is the state president group, they've put together, they've begun to put together a playbook that, I know it sounds odd, we haven't come up with a final name for it yet, so I, I share this tentatively because it hasn't been approved everywhere yet, but the playbook um, is intended to be that. It's intended to help support the states in understanding their role um, and how they can access these resources um, but give them resources as well. We will be rolling out the first phase of this state playbook for them, for those leaders um, at this conference. And it probably, I would say where it's at right now, it's probably going to take another year to have it in a finished product. So I would say just come to the conference, be a part of ATE, be a part of helping us to develop this at this point. That is one of the things that we're doing is developing that state playbook. Um, and I would think in a year we'll have more resources available online, um, but they're in development right now. So come and be a part of the conversation and help us put it together. Now at the end of the podcast, we like to do a lightning round with our guests. Um, so I'm gonna ask you a series of questions and you just need to respond with one word or one sentence answers. Are you ready? No, but go ahead. <laughs> Your favorite movie? Right now, it would be Harriet. I really enjoyed um, the movie that's that's just come out. I mean, that one's just kind of sitting on the edge right now. Yeah. Your dream keynote speaker at ATE? Well, I have to say the speakers we have coming. We have, <laughs> we have Paul Gorski coming. We have Elena Ardiova and Carl Cohn. So... I, I would definitely say each of them are our favorite speaker. The session you're most excited about for this year's conference? Elena's a newcomer, and um, she's just beginning to get involved in this notion of how teacher educators can become more active in advocacy and policy. And so it's, it's fun to think about hearing a newcomer with a fresh perspective on it. Um, to see what she's she has to share as well. So both of those I'm really looking forward to. And finally, the next destination on your travel bucket list. Well, it's Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're having our centennial annual conference. 
for the Association of Teacher Educators. It, that's, that's my next place is, uh, is Atlantic City. Christy, can you tell our audience um, why they should be attending, why they should consider attending ATE? Well, you will be a part of a momentous time in our history. This is an exceptional time to come to ATE to learn about not just how we've been a part of policy research and practice in the past for the last 100 years, how we're engaged right now today in the present, and then be a part of projecting into the future and what we can do to better support your work as a teacher educator going forward. So please come and join us, be a part of the conversation, the discussions, bring your expertise. We love to hear from new voices and new people and get involved. You will not find a better place to be mentored as a teacher educator, um, and you will immediately be embraced by the ATE family. And again, how can they how can they sign up to go to the conference? Where should they go? They should go to www.ate1.org. Perfect. Well, Dr. McIntyre, thank you so much for joining us on the Teacher Education Podcast. It's been really insightful to learn more about ATE and the work that it's been doing and the conference that's coming up. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. That's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you like what you heard, please rate and review this podcast to help others find us. The Teacher Education Podcast is brought to you by GoReact. This episode was hosted by me, Hilary Gamblin, and produced by Daniel Burt, Joseph Winter, and Jordan Harris. Chad Jardine is our executive producer. Guests on the podcast are expressing personal opinions for informational purposes only. They're not acting as official representatives for their universities or organizations.